Chapter Sixteen of the Conquest of Canaan by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen: The Two Canaans. When Joe left Ariel at Judge Pike's gate, she lingered there, her elbows upon the uppermost crossbar, like a village girl at twilight, watching his thin figure vanish into the heavy shadows of the maples then emerge momentarily ghost gray and rapid at the lighted crossing down the street to disappear again under the trees beyond followed a second later by a brownish streak as the mongrel heeled after him when they had passed the second corner she could no longer be certain of them although the street was straight with flat draughtsman-like western directness both figures and joe's quick footsteps merging with the night still she did not turn to go did not alter her position nor cease to gaze down the dim street few lights shone almost all the windows of the houses were darkened and save for the summer murmurs the faint creak of upper branches and the infinitesimal voices of insects in the grass there was silence the pleasant and somnolent hush swathed in which that part of canaan crosses to the far side of the eleventh hour but ariel not soothed by this balm sought beyond it to see that unquiet canaan whither her old friend bent his steps and found his labor and his dwelling that other canaan where peace did not fall comfortably with the coming of night a place as alien in habit and thought and almost in speech as if it had been upon another continent and yet so strange is the duality of towns it lay but a few blocks distance here about ariel as she stood at the gate of the pike mansion the houses of the good secure of salvation and daily bread were closed and quiet as safely shut and sound asleep as the churches but deeper in the town there was light and life and merry evil industry screened but strong to last until morning there were haunts of haggard merriment in plenty surreptitious chambers where roulette wheels swam beneath dizzied eyes ill-favored bars reached by devious ways where quavering voices offered song and were harshly checked and through the burdened air of this canaan wandered heavy smells of musk like that upon happy fear's wife who must now be so pale beneath her rouge and above all this and for all this and because of all this was that one resort to which joe now made his way that haven whose lights burn all night long whose doors are never closed but are open from dawn until dawn the jail there in that desolate refuge lay happy fear surrendered sturdily by himself at joe's word the picture of the little man was clear and fresh in ariel's eyes and though she had seen him when he was newly come from a thing so terrible that she could not realize it as a fact she felt only an overwhelming pity for him she was not even horror-stricken though she had shuddered the pathos of the shabby little figure crossing the street toward the lighted doors had touched her something about him had appealed to her for he had not seemed wicked his face was not cruel though it was desperate perhaps it was partly his very desperation which had moved her 
she had understood joe when he told her that this man was his friend and comprehended his great fear when he said i've got to clear him i promised him over and over joe had reiterated i've got to save him i've got to she had answered gently yes joe hurrying to keep up with him he's a good man she said i've known few better given his chances and none of this would have happened except for his old-time friendship for me it was his loyalty oh the rarest and absurdest loyalty that made the first trouble between him and the man he shot i've got to clear him will it be hard they may make it so i can only see part of it surely when his wife left the office she met cory on the street you saw what a pitiful kind of fool she was irresponsible and helpless and feather-brained there are thousands of women like that everywhere some of them are court beauties i dare say and they always mix things up but they're most dangerous when they're like claudine because then they live among men of action like cory and fear cory was artful he spent the day about town telling people that he had always liked happy that his ill feeling of yesterday was all gone he wanted to find him and shake his hand bury past troubles and be friends i think he told claudine the same thing when they met and convinced the tiny brainlet of his sincerity cory was a man who had a way with him and i can see claudine flattered at the idea of being peacemaker between two such nice gentlemen as mr cory and mr fear her commonest asseveration quite genuine too is that she doesn't like to have the gentleman making trouble about her so the poor imbecile led him where her husband was waiting all that happy knew of this was in her cry afterwards he was sitting alone when cory threw open the door and said i've got you this time happy his pistol was raised but never fired he waited too long meaning to establish his case of self-defence and fears the quickest man i know cory fell just inside the door claudine stumbled upon him as she came running after him crying out to her husband that she never meant no trouble that cory had sworn to her that he only wanted to shake hands and make up other people heard the shot and broke into the room but they did not try to stop fear he warned them off and walked out without hindrance and came to me i've got to clear them ariel knew what he meant she realized the actual thing as it was and though possessed by a strange feeling that it must all be medieval and not possibly of today understood that he would have to fight to keep his friend from being killed that the unhappy creature who had run into the office out of the dark stood in high danger of having his neck broken unless joe could help him he made it clear to her that the state would kill happy if it could that it would be a point of pride with certain deliberate men holding office to take the life of the little man that if they did secure his death it would be set down to their efficiency and was even competent as campaign material i wish to point out joe had heard a candidate for re-election vehemently orate that in addition to the other successful convictions i have named i and my assistants have achieved the sending of three men to the gallows during my term of office i can't tell yet said joe at parting it may be hard i'm so sorry you saw all this i oh no she cried i want to understand 
She was still there at the gate, her elbows resting upon the crossbar, when, a long time after Joe had gone, there came from the alley behind the big backyard the minor courtings of a quartet of those dark strollers who never seem to go to bed, who play by night and playfully pretend to work by day. You know my soul is full of them a troubles every morn. I can't walk without and I stumbles. Then let's go on, keep walking on. These times is sorrowful, and I'm powerful, sick and forlorn. She heard a step upon the path behind her, and turning saw a white wrapped figure coming toward her. Mamie, she called. Hush. Mamie lifted a warning hand. The windows are open, she whispered. They might hear you. Why haven't you gone to bed? Oh, don't you see, Mamie answered in deep distress. I've been sitting up for you. We all thought you were writing letters in your room, but after Papa and Mamma had gone to bed, I went in to tell you good night, and you weren't there, nor anywhere else, so I knew you must have gone out. I'd been sitting by the front window waiting to let you in, but I went to sleep until a little while ago. When the telephone bell rang and he got up and answered it, he kept talking a long time. It was something about the toxin, and I'm afraid there's been a murder downtown. When he went back to bed, I fell asleep again, and then those darkies woke me up. How on earth did you expect to get in? Don't you know he always locks up the house? I could have rung, said Ariel. Oh, oh, yes, Miss Pike. And after she had recovered somewhat, asked, do you mind telling me where you've been? I won't tell him, nor Mama either. I think, after all, I was wrong yesterday to follow Eugene's advice. He meant for the best, but I don't think that you weren't wrong. Ariel put her arm round the other's waist. I went to talk over some things with Mr. Loudon. I think, whispered Mamie, trembling, that you're the bravest girl I ever knew, and, and... I could almost believe there's some good in him, since you like him so. I know there is. And I... I think he's had a hard time. I want you to know I won't even tell Eugene. You can tell everybody in the world, said Ariel, and kissed her. End of chapter 16